You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I hope that you'll join me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. Uh, Last week, we started a New Year sermon series called Revision. And in this series, we are taking the time to revisit and refocus on the priorities and the values that guide our our structure, uh, our strategies, our stewardship. Uh, And so I I quickly want to uh, review uh, some of the key statements uh, that we looked at last week, kind of as an introductory message to this series where we uh, revisited our mission statement, our vision statement, our core values. Uh, and so uh, with that, our mission statement is to lead people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, again, you may be looking at that statement going, well, where, where is that statement in the Bible? That statement explicitly is not in Scripture, uh, although we believe uh, firmly that it is uh, it is born out of Scripture, and I think you're going to see that a little more this morning. In fact, over the next uh, three weeks here, we're going to unpack really what is the biblical basis for these statements. Um, we would certainly tie that statement with the Great Commission uh, that we will be looking at. Uh, it is our task, it is our mission to lead people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Our vision statement is a little broader, uh, maybe a little more difficult to commit to memory. This is what we would say we envision. Um, If we were to look into the future, if we could, this is what we envision for our church family. Uh, It is to become a diverse family of surrendered and transformed people who passionately love God and others. We endeavor to be a body that is overcome by the reality that this life is not about us but all about the glory of God. We desire to be transfixed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and compelled by his heart for our world. Uh, That is our vision statement. And so out of those two things, really, we come to our core values. There are certainly other things that we would say are super important to us, but we try to distill it down uh, in such a way that we can kind of wrap our brains around it uh, and we can uh, find clarity in these statements. We uh, value God-glorifying lives. That goes back to uh, the statement that we just read. This life is fundamentally not about us. It is all about the glory of God. Why are we here? We're here ultimately to glorify God. And so we value God-glorifying lives, striving in every way that we can together uh, to glorify God as individuals, as families, and ultimately as a church family. We value biblically-based teaching, biblically-based teaching. We don't always get that right. Uh, I I won't pretend for a moment that I'm the best Bible teacher, preacher that you could ever encounter. Uh, None of our pastors would suggest that. But we want everything that we do in terms of the content, uh, in terms of the the message itself, we want it to be biblically based. The Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. I was talking to someone just prior to the service and in searching for a church home, one of the things that you'll quickly discover, you can find churches all over the Metroplex right here 
here in what we would describe as the heart of the Bible Belt, churches that meet together much like we are this morning, and they never open the Bible. They never open the Bible. That has a broad appeal today. And we shouldn't find that surprising. Scripture talks about uh, in these times, there will be those who will heap up for themselves teachers that will basically just tell them what they want to hear. Uh, and it would be easy to do that. Uh, I would love to be able to just stand up here and tell you uh, amazing pithy stories all the time and stuff like that and just make you feel really good about yourself and say, okay, we're done with that. Uh, but I've got to continually be driven back to Scripture itself. It is one of our core values, biblically-based teaching and preaching. With that, we value gospel-driven discipleship. Uh, we want to make disciples who make disciples. Uh, it is a core value. Number four, we value a kingdom-focused perspective. A lot of things demanding our attention today, many of them good things. But we've got to ultimately ask ourselves, how will this impact eternity? Does this have eternal value? We value a kingdom-focused perspective. We value church-based ministry. Uh, God has ordained the local church as plan A to reach the nations with the gospel. And so we believe that everyone should have a church home, a local church home, where they are nourished, where they are fed, where they can serve, where they are held accountable, uh, all of those things, church-based ministry. And finally, Christ-centered community. God intends for us to live out the Christian life, not as lone rangers. Uh, our faith should not be a private matter in the sense that... Uh, that we live it out privately, we just keep it to ourselves. We're to live it out alongside other believers, and we're to share that uh, with the world around us. And so I hope that that uh, kind of brings you up to speed. If you were not here last week, if you were, uh, these are things that we should be reminded of regularly. This is who we are as a church family, and so I hope that you can uh, find some clarity in that. Now this morning I want to, to ask you to envision uh, a church after God's own heart. Envision a follower of Jesus Christ hitting on all cylinders, we might say. But what would that look like? Being everything that God wants us to be, doing everything God wants us to do, living lives of such passion and power and purpose that the people that we meet, where we live, where we work, where we play are eternally impacted. That's not to say that we should be obnoxious, that we should ever be rude, um, I, I love the statement that says one of the best ways to live out your faith in Jesus Christ for some people is just stop being a jerk. Okay, God doesn't intend for us to be jerks. Okay, but he does intend for us to love him passionately and as a result then love others uh, sacrificially. And we're going to see how that all ties together hopefully uh, this morning. We are convinced that such a church, uh, such a Christ follower will do three simple things. We call these the outcomes of our discipleship, uh, that they will love and serve God, love and serve neighbor, love and serve others, and live connected in community. So envision a church that is passionately committed to following the great commandment. We're going to look at that today. Following the great commandment to love God supremely. That is fulfilling what we would call the great commitment. That is to love neighbor, serve others. We don't want our church to just be about a collection of people sitting in the room every week. We want to have a, a community focus, a global focus. Uh, that's the purpose for us gathering. And then finishing the great commission, living connected and connecting others 
to Jesus Christ. So envision the impact that a church family like that could have. Envision the lives that could be positively, permanently, powerfully changed for all of eternity. What would a church like that, what would it look like? What kind of Christ followers would it produce? How would it impact the church's programming and staffing and priorities and methods? And th this is what we're going to specifically be talking about over the rest of this series, over these next uh, three weeks through the month of January. We don't want to have a mission statement and a vision statement and a set of core values just so we can hang words on a wall. Okay, so we can have a section on the website. And we want these things to be a reality in our church. We want to strive, as imperfectly as, as it will be, to strive toward fulfilling these very things. It's not by accident that all of this begins with the very first step, which is to love God supremely. Love God supremely. Why is that the first step? Well, it all goes back to a question that was asked of Jesus by a lawyer. Those lawyers and their questions, right? Matthew tells us that he asked the question to test Jesus. If you study the context of this 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see that that's kind of what's been happening here. In fact, we find that uh, in verse number 15 of this chapter that the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Uh, now, if you have a hard time, when you see Pharisees and Sadducees, some people have a hard time distinguishing those two groups. Uh, it was described for me, and it, this has helped me since I guess I was a kid in kids' church years ago. But it was the Sadducees who had issues with the resurrection, didn't believe in the resurrection. In fact, the section just ahead of our text today, you'll find that Jesus is talking primarily to the Sadducees. And the way to remember is that they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, okay? The Pharisees were the ones who were typically coming along going, throwing a flag, like some kind of referee or something, and going, saying, that's not fair, I see, okay? And so a good way for you to kind of distinguish between those two groups. We know this. If you know much of anything about the life and ministry of Jesus, he continually had issues with the religious folks of his day, Right? I mean, it wasn't typically the pagan or the heretic. or I mean, it was typically those who would call themselves religious. Those who would say, I, I know the law. I, I know the scriptures. Those were the people uh, that, can, that, that were continually rubbing up against Jesus and his followers. Uh, they were the ones who were constantly throwing the flag. You've got a violation here and all of these kind of things. We're going to see that a little bit more today. And so remember this, a Pharisee was considered in that day a religious expert. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a Pharisee, right? Uh, a scholar of the law, the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament. The Bible scholar, this Bible scholar, asked Jesus, really, what amounts to a Bible question. And it was a question deserving of an answer. Here's what happened. Let's go ahead and look at it. The text is uh, verses 34 through 40 of Matthew chapter 22 here this morning. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that's in the section just ahead of this, okay? The Sadducees asked about the resurrection. And Jesus kind of sets them straight on this thing. And so the Pharisees naturally uh, discern this. He had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That should sound familiar to us. 
It comes directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, what would have been known to them as the Shema. Okay? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Jesus is referencing here, something that Moses had said some 1,500 years uh, prior. This is the first, the great and first commandment. And he goes on and says this, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Now, to better understand this question, I think it's important for us um, to, to understand exactly uh, what he was saying here, what was being asked. Y you need to know that through the years, rabbis, people who studied the law, they had studied the first five books of the law intensely. They had come up with 613-some uh, individual commandments. Okay? 248 of those would have been considered positive commandments. You should do this. 365 of those were negative commandments. You should not do this. These are all the do's and the don'ts. And so you're going across some people today who are much like modern-day Pharisees. They view the Bible primarily as a book of rules. There's a list of do's and don'ts. You ever had a conversation with someone like that? Well, I, you know, I'm not much into religion and everything because then I would have to, like, change my lifestyle. It's just, you know, it's just so judgmental. And what they're thinking about is, is th these sections of Scripture that they've come across that appear to, to be mainly a list of do's and don'ts, a bunch of rules, just a big rule book. So with so many commandments, so many rules, so many regulations, this lawyer asked really a very good question. He said, in effect, I would like to know what is the greatest commandment of all. If we were to list all of these commandments, which one, Jesus, would you say is at the top of the list? Which one is number one, numero uno? Now, why is that significant? I'm sure that he had another reason for asking this question other than just to get an answer, because the answer to this question of what is the greatest commandment would also automatically reveal the greatest sin. I mean, think of it this way. The greatest sin that a person could commit would be to disobey or to violate what is the greatest commandment. I think of it this way, I think like those of you who've had a driver's license for any length of time, you, um, you maybe can remember, maybe you took driver's ed, if you are young enough, maybe you did the home educator thing and all that. I took a driver's ed class with a group of other, uh, you know, students my age or whatever, and I remember them giving us the book. You know, you've got to study the book. You've got to know what all the signs mean, and you've got to know the traffic laws and all of that, those sorts of things. And so if you're looking at all this, you're trying to memorize all this information, you're trying to make sure that you can naturally pass the test so that you can get your driver's license. But I don't ever remember thinking to myself, now which one of these laws is the most important? I guess some would argue, well, the speed limit is obviously most important. That's the most important traffic law that there is, because if you're abiding by the speed limit, then there's less chance that you would have an accident. You know, all these sort of, I mean, there's a lot of different laws out there. I mean, you've got to yield and give the right of way in certain cases, and you've got to stop it. So, you know, all, there's so many things. Where can I turn right on red? Where can I, you know, all these sorts of things. But, you know, as, as you're thinking about it, I think really one of the most important traffic laws is that you drive with your eyes open. Now, it may not actually be in the set of, I mean, but here's the thing. I, I, I've had a driver's license for quite a few years now, 
And for a lot of those years, I've had a restriction on my driver's license. It says, must have corrective lenses. So if I'm stopped and I'm driving without my corrective lenses, then I am technically driving that vehicle illegally, right? Because they want to know with certainty that I can see the signs that I have to obey, right? If I can't see the speed limit sign, what does it matter what the speed limit is, right? Okay, and so sometimes you got to think, man, how would I distill this all down? What, what are the most important? That's kind of what this guy was doing. He's coming to Jesus and he's saying, hey, we've got all these laws, all these rules, all these regulations, do's, don'ts, all these different things. Which one of these would you say is the most important? The answer was so obvious that after Jesus gave it, I have no doubt that some of the people that were in the crowd there felt kind of dumb for asking it to begin with because, again, he basically quotes something that Moses had already said about 1,500 years before, which many of them would have said every day. Vishma, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus takes them right back to that. He, in effect, uh, to those Pharisees who were so legalistic, so rules-oriented, he basically says to them, it doesn't matter how many I's you dot, it doesn't matter how many T's you cross, if you fail to love God with everything you have, if you fail to put God first in every area of your life, it doesn't really matter what else you do. We see the same kind of thinking when Jesus would consistently say in his teaching, you have heard that it hath been said, generally they're referencing the law, you've heard that it's been said, but I say to you, this. So you're so concerned about the technicalities of the law over here, let us really get to the heart of the matter. You've heard that it has been said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you to even look at a woman lustfully, he, he would get to the heart of the matter. Jesus had a way, an incredible way of distilling these things down to what is most important. And that's the heart of the matter. So I want us to go back and I want us to look at this commandment. I want us to think about it a little more deeply and examine it a little more closely. And in a sense, it, it, some would say it's kind of odd that God would command us to love him. I, I read an interview not long ago. I think it was Brad Pitt. If it wasn't, it was one of these other famous actors. I, I think it was Brad Pitt who kind of went through this, uh, this phase a number of years ago, and I think it was in Parade Magazine. He did this interview, and he goes, one of the problems he goes, I got hung up on was just God's ego. That's the way he put it. He thinks it's very egotistical for God to say, I want you to love me supremely. Okay? And so some people would look at this and go, this is just a little bit odd. I mean, if you really could command someone to love you, I mean, think about that. Then I would have been the most popular guy in high school, right? I mean, you know, we, 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 it's hard for us to kind of wrap our mind around this concept. The fact that God commands us to love him tells us something about the kind of love that God is demanding. And that's worth noting. Here's the thing. It's not a feeling. It's not fundamentally a feeling. We, we think of love in, in, in our finite way of thinking as, as largely being a feeling. Well, I'm going to just tell you something, and I, I don't think I'm the only one in the room who, who would say this, if we're all being completely honest. There have been times through the years, more times than I would like to admit, that when it comes to my faith and my walk with the Lord, I'm just not feeling it. You know what I mean? You ever have those times? 
You ever go through those seasons where it's like, I'm just not feeling it? Like, check this out. Sometimes I get up on Sunday morning, and I'm not feeling like coming to church. Okay? So, so the love that we're talking about here is not primarily, not largely a feeling, because you can't command a feeling. It is a commitment. It's a commitment. It's a surrender. It's a willingness to give everything you are to everything God is. I want you to think about how important your love for God really is. And to do that, I think we need to answer a couple of questions for ourselves. What does it really mean to love God? And number two, how do I know whether I love God or not? As, as I was thinking about that question, uh, I got the answer one day as I was spending time with God re reading the Word. And, and we don't have to wonder what it means to love God. We really don't. Because God himself tells us what it means, and then we understand that that love really is not a feeling, it really is a commitment. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, loving God means keeping his commandments. Jesus himself said in John's gospel, John chapter 14, verse 21, those who accept, fundamentally accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. So it's really simple, not complicated at all. To love God the way that God wants to be loved is to obey God and to do what he demands. It's much like parenting. Much like parenting. There are two things, fundamentally, that any parent wants from their children. Love and obedience. Love and obedience. Any parent knows that those two also go together. A child can obey a parent without loving them. But I believe it's impossible to truly love a parent without obeying a parent. Now, here's the way it works. To love God is to obey God, and when we obey God, we obey God because we love God. One way to tell how much you really love God and how mature your love for God really is is by answering the question, do you obey God because you feel that you have to, or do you obey God because you want to? And there are people all over the world, you'll find when it comes right down to answering that question, they will say, well, I, I obey God because I have to. Because if I don't, their view of God tells them that God is like some sort of cosmic killjoy just waiting for us to step over a line so he can squash us. And so they live with this great sense of fear. I'm not doing enough good. I'm not avoiding enough bad. I'm not, I, I've got to maintain this position with God. God's just waiting for me to break one of his rules. Or he's waiting for me to omit one of his commands or, or something. That, that, that's not the kind of love that we're talking about here. So if we really love God the way that we ought to love God, you would not have a problem obeying God, no problem serving God, not have a problem doing what God wants us to do. Loving God can be manifested in many ways. How does the love of God that we say that we have on the inside manifest itself on the outside? How do you really love God? How can you know that you are really showing God as well as showing others that you do, in fact, love him? Now, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it's referred to as fruit. Okay, if we're abiding in Christ, then we will be bearing fruit. You will see that born out of your life. You ever talk to somebody and, you, and they profess to you that they're a Christian and you're, I mean, you're just kind of dumbfounded by that? And the reason that you may be dumbfounded by that is because in the time that you've known them, you're just like, 
well, I haven't seen any fruit that would really give evidence of that. That should never be the case for us. That should never be the case for us. People shouldn't find it shocking because there's zero evidence in our life of a love for God. So we got to go back and look at this great commandment again because there are actually two dimensions to what, what Jesus is saying here in our text, one of which uh, we, we haven't discussed yet. We will be. Uh, there is a vertical dimension to what Jesus says here. He says, first and most importantly, first commandment, love the Lord your God supremely. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And the second is like it, or you can say it, it's kind of born out of that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we often say it this way. If people consistently have problems with their fellow human beings, whether it's your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your fellow church members or whatever, you're consistently having interpersonal relationships here horizontally, that's an indication that you've got something going on vertically. Because if you are loving God supremely, then you will find, and you'll do it imperfectly, I do. I don't always get this right. But you will find that, that that is what guides and determines how you love people horizontally. We talked about this in, in our Imperfect Family series. One of the reasons that some people struggle with unforgiveness and harboring bitterness is because they do, they do, they do not stop and think about how God has forgiven them, how God loves them, how God relates to them. When you don't have that right, you're going to have a hard time getting this right. You just will. I think that's why Jesus distills this down into these two very strong statements. He says, on these two commands hang the law and the prophets. Critically important. In fact, if you take just the Ten Commandments, just the Ten Commandments alone, you'll find that they fall pretty neatly into two sections. How we relate to God and how we relate to our fellow man. <laughs> right? And so again, it, 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 Jesus distills it down to these things. And so I, what I want us to do is I just want to, in these final few moments, I want us to kind of unpack some ways that, that we can practically live out our love for God. Okay, number one, we love God with our time. We love God with our time. If you really love someone, then you want to spend time with that person. And it may require some sacrifice on your part. It's kind of a novel concept these days, Right? that we would actually love in a way that is self-sacrificing. Uh, I, I, I often get this wrong, uh, but, but occasionally my wife will ask me if I want to go to Walmart with her. Can I just be straight up honest with y'all? Rarely do I ever want to go to Walmart. Okay, I'm like most guys, we are like hunters when it comes to shopping, right? I know what I'm after, I'm going there, I'm gonna get it and I'm gonna get out, right? Okay, I, I really, I, I can think of, a, I, put it there, I, I can think of a lot of other things that I would rather do than just like roam around Walmart, right? Like a colonoscopy, a root canal. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff I would rather do. But there have been a few times that I have said to my wife, babe, if it means that I get to spend time with you, I'll go to Walmart. I'll go to Walmart, okay? What's important to me in that moment is not being at Walmart, What's important to me in that moment is being with her, spending time with her. And so one of the ways that we demonstrate that we love God is we have a desire to spend time with him. And that doesn't mean just right here on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. 
I don't know what you may call it. Maybe you call it your quiet time, your devotional time, your my time with the Lord. Whatever you call it, it's got to be a priority in our lives. Now, for me, that time comes early in the morning. That doesn't make me any better than anybody else. That doesn't make me more holy than anybody else. That's just the time that I have set aside, and I, I like to have an appointment with the Lord. We make appointments for a lot of other stuff, right? Some, obviously, more important than others, but we make appointments for like, why not make an appointment with God every day? And if for you, the best time to do that is in the evening, or what, that, that's fine, but we've got to commit to spending time with the Lord. That looks a little different for all of us. I'm talking about going more than just, you know, a little surfacey devotional kind of thing, snacking. I'm talking about spending time in the Word of God. God speaks to us primarily through His Word by His Holy Spirit. So you can't say that you're spending quality time with God if you never open this book. You just can't. It's not optional. Okay? It's not like, well, I just like to kind of meditate. Okay. Meditation's great, but upon what are you meditating? Okay, time with the Lord is not emptying your mind uh, in a you know, transcendental meditation sort of way. No, what, 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 are, what are you putting in? How is God speaking to you by his word? Okay, are you prioritizing time with God? And so again, that may look a little different for you than it does for me. It may look a little different for me than it does for you. But, but just like a husband and wife need to spend time together, it's so important that we spend time with the Lord. It's one of the ways that we demonstrate our love for Him. Number two, we love God with our talents. That's kind of a general term that we often use for the way in which God has wired us, the way that God has equipped us. One of the things that I love about church life, I love about the body of Christ, is that God brings all of these unique people with differing passions and different giftings and all these. He kind of brings us together. Okay, so that together we can effectively make much of Jesus. Okay, but, but if you're not willing to use the way in which God has wired you and equipped you and gifted you, there may be something wrong. I, I know many of us, we can sit and go, well, I, I'm just not as good as so-and-so, or I can't sing like, or I can't preach, or I can't teach, or I can't do, I can't. We can think of a million different reasons why we can't do certain things. But the truth is, God has uniquely equipped and gifted us to serve Him in a unique way. And so we demonstrate a love for God with our talents. If we are loving God supremely, it will motivate us to love and lead people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. So you ought to see every act of service that you do, whether it's in the church on Sunday or it's outside the church on Monday through Saturday or whatever, as simply another way to love God. Love God. And again, a parent can understand this in this sense. You raise a child, you feed a child, you change their dirty diapers, you wipe their running noses, you bathe them, you do everything for them. Do you do all of that because of what they can do for you? And maybe you're thinking down the road, they're the ones who are going to pick my nurse. You know, I, I mean, maybe, but that's not your primary motivation generally, right? I'm only doing this because of what you're going to be able to do for me someday, right? No, you do it for one reason, because you love them. Because you love them. And when you love God the way that you ought to love God, then you will want to serve God and serve others in the way that God has designed and so that leads us to number three. We love God with our testimony. 
We love God with our testimony. Uh, Rick Warren said it this way. He said, friends of God tell their friends about God. Friends of God tell their friends about God. It goes back to what we talked about last week and intentionally having gospel conversations. Gospel, And again, I'm not talking about a slick presentation that you've practiced hundreds of times and now you feel confident that you can sit down and share the presentation with someone at the coffee shop. I'm, I'm basically telling you, tell someone what has God done for you? What has God done in your life? What kind of a difference is God making in your life every day? That is your testimony. Again, that's why the word testimony is used. Okay, if I'm sharing testimony in a court of law, the judge, the court, would require that it be something, it's not just hearsay on my part, you know, it's something that I've personally seen or experienced myself. That's what your testimony is. Are you stewarding your story, your testimony, for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? One of the ways that we demonstrate a supreme love for God is through our testimony. I used this example in the early service. That was uh, this, this past week. I was out here. I walked up. Michael Fellini was out here, one of our uh, guardian uh, uh, volunteers. And uh, he voluntarily offered to show me a picture of his new grandbaby. Now, it wasn't like, well, I guess I got to show you this because, you know, he had a grandbaby. He was born on January the 1st. And, and he was excited and jo joyful about doing that, right? That, that's how it should be with us and our love for the Lord. Okay, so whatever the context may be, and I'm not saying, again, that you should be a jerk about it, that you should be sensitive to the, to the time constraint, the place, where you may be, and all those things. But as God gives you opportunities to share your testimony, to share the good news of the gospel, it's just one way that we demonstrate a supreme love for God with our testimony. And then finally, number four, we love God with our treasure. We love God with our treasure. Now, whenever we see the word treasure, and I, I mainly used treasure because it started with a T, and all of the other points started with a T today. Hopefully it helps you remember these things. We're not just talking about our money. We're not. We're talking about stewarding everything that God entrusts to us. And I want to remind you of something. Whenever we have a stewardship problem, fundamentally we have an ownership problem. God entrusts to us time, God entrusts to us resources, the homes in which we live, the cars which we drive. Yes, our financial resources. All of those things are entrusted to us, and it is a stewardship. And if you have a stewardship problem, that tells me that you have an ownership problem. Because probably what you're doing is you're saying, this is mine, and I'll give God this. I'll give God this hour on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. But the rest of my time is mine. I'll give God this much of my financial resource, but the rest of this is mine. That's an ownership problem. And one of the ways that we demonstrate a supreme love for God is how do we steward that which God has entrusted to us? That's why we often say, you want to find out, look at someone's checkbook, look at their calendar. Those are two ways that will indicate th their love for God in many respects. So there's still another dimension of this commandment that we, that we haven't really touched on, and we're going to look at uh, in the weeks to come more. And that's the horizontal dimension. Okay, we're talking about loving God supremely. It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything you have, every fiber of your being. 
Be all in. There's a lot of different ways that we describe that today. But again, notice Jesus goes on to say in verses 39 and 40 of our text, I'll do, I'll do you one better, Mr. Lawyer Man, with your important question here. I'll give you number one, and I'll also give you number two. I'll give you number two. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in and of itself, there is nothing really at all unique about these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. What is unique is this is the first time anyone has joined these two together. Jesus, in effect, said, if you have the vertical love for God that you ought to have, then you cannot help but have the horizontal love for others that you ought to have. One of the greatest ways, one of the greatest ways that we can demonstrate a love for someone is by sharing with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You really want to show some? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of different things you can do. There are books written on ways that we can demonstrate a sacrificial love to our spouse and to our kids and to our family members and all of those things. But, but if in all of that you, you fail to share with them the love of God in Jesus Christ, what have you really done? What have you really done? And one of the greatest ways that the church brings people together so that they can love each other is through groups that meet together. This time, critically important. Absolutely. But these groups that I'm talking about, I'm talking about, you call them, they're called all different things today. They're called small groups, and, and yes, they're small groups, they're called life groups, they're called, we, we happen to call them community groups because we feel that that's a clarifying way to describe what we're trying to accomplish. We want to see people living the Christian life together in community. Okay? Again, we tried to say this multiple ways. We're not anti-Sunday school or anything. It's just the fact is, some of our groups don't meet on Sundays anymore. Okay, and, and more probably won't in the future, okay? One of our community groups meets on Tuesday evenings right now. And so that's just a way for us to kind of clarify what, what these groups are. But the fundamental thing is this. These are groups where life and love come together. These are groups where life and love come together. That, that's why it's so important. And so we want to see everyone actively involved in a community group where life and love come together. And we envision developing more community groups in the days and weeks and years to come as the church grows by the grace of God. And we want to find everyone connecting in this sort of way. So if I could summarize this morning what it means to love God. Let me just, just put a bow on it. Wrap this thing up so that we can wrap our brains around it. What does it mean to love God supremely? I would say three things. To love God means to love what God loves. God loves people. God loves people. In today's world, it is so easy to use people and love things. When we should use things and love people. So to love God supremely means to love what God loves, which is people. To hate what God hates, and that is sin. Any and all sin. And so scripture would say it's fundamentally to agree with God about our sin. 
It actually comes from the word from which we get the word homogenized. You ever uh, grab a gallon of milk from the store? It probably says on it, it's pasteurized, it's homogenized. Okay, it's gone through a process where it no longer separates. Okay, you just take milk from the cow. When I worked on the dairy farm, you could do this. You set it in the fridge. You go back later, and you're going to see that the cream has separated to the top. That doesn't happen with your homogenized jug of milk, right? Okay, so it's to, it literally means to say the same thing about our sin that God says. Okay, when God says, I hate that, you agree with God and say, I hate that too. I hate that pride that rises up in my heart so often. I hate that anger that manifests itself when I'm violated. I go, you say the same thing about your sin that God says. It is to hate what God hates. It is to do what God does, which is give sacrificially. Give your time, your talents, your testimony, your treasure to God. First Baptist Church of Van Alstine will never do anything greater for you your children, your grandchildren, than to do everything that we can to help you fall in love with Jesus Christ every single day. We can do great programs, all good things, all of that. But there is not a problem any church has that cannot be solved when that church has a burning, blazing, passionate love for God that is both shown and seen by others who come in contact with it. So whatever FBCVA becomes known for, there is nothing more important than being a church that loves God with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. And with that, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? I don't know about you, but for me, there have been many, many times over the course of my now 55 years that I've thought to myself, I just really need some clarity on this issue. I need somebody to summarize this subject in a way that I can, I can better understand it. I need someone to distill this down to, to something that I can get my mind around. If you really study Scripture, you'll find that the Lord Jesus consistently does a masterful job of that. That's what he does here. You Pharisees, they're all about the rules and the regulations and crossing the T's and dotting the I's and all that. Let, let me distill this for you. Let me put this in a way that you can, you can wrap your minds around it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with everything you have. Love God supremely. You see, God doesn't want to just have a place of prominence in our lives. He wants to have the place of preeminence in our lives. And so often we're content for God to just have an important seat at the table. He wants the place of preeminence at the table. So my hope and prayer today is that you can say, I'm striving in every way with every fiber of my being 
to love God supremely. More than anything this world has to offer, more than anything. If you're here this morning, you may be saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm really just kind of a seeker. Haven't had much experience in church, with religion, whatever you might want to call it. I get that. I fully understand. Something that you need to know and understand is you can never be in a right relationship with God in and of yourself by trying to be good enough, trying to do enough good things, not do the bad things. You know, the Lord Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way you can be in a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Knowing that your sins are forgiven, not because of anything you've done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So, Father, today we thank you. We thank you for your word that guides us. We thank you for the truth that may seem at times confusing. Lord, how we thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And in such a clear way, we see here what is most important. Of all the things that we should do and shouldn't do, what's most important is that we love God supremely. A lot of other things take care of themselves. Lord, your word tells us, may we be mindful today that we love you because you first loved us. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.